Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to our brief hiatus from Why Bother with your host, John Sebleski, the podcast that didn't need to be made by the host who really didn't want to make it. I am happy to be back with you after a few weeks of taking a break with a wonderful guest today. Uh, Aaron Daniels, the filmmaker, the professor, the great guy, the contributor to all things arts related. I'm very excited to talk with him today about his brand new documentary that premieres on July 21st on Apple TV, There's No Such Thing as Ghosts. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome my uh, new friend and great uh, co-host today, Aaron Daniel. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks so much for having me, John. I am so happy that you are here. You know, uh, I've had a lot of uh, goodness uh, coming from Buffalo State, and I have another great guest from Buffalo State College, uh, and and I cannot wait to talk to you about your project, about your uh, your career as a professor, and 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 all good things film. So I I, I hope you're ready because I, I I've ready. been waiting for a while. Good. <laughs> so I want to hear a little bit about you, uh, starting out probably at the beginning. Uh, how did you get here? Uh, why, why, being, why, why filmmaking? Uh, why being a professor? Uh, let's just start a lot about you. Take it away. Well, it all, it all goes to storytelling. It all goes back to storytelling. You know, I grew up in the South, in North Carolina, and I grew up uh, singing gospel music. My family uh, would gather around. My dad playing the guitar, my mom playing the piano. We'd all sing together. And a lot of the old gospel and country songs in the South were really just story songs. And I always uh, got so excited to hear the stories of the songs that my, my dad would sing or my grandparents would sing, uh, old folk songs. And I loved it. And, you know, I thought I was going to grow up and be a gospel singer because I grew up doing that. And when I got to college, uh, I said, I went for music and I said, oh, I'm going to be a gospel singer. Like, well, you can't major in that here. <laughs> so I started off as a classical voice major. And uh, then I fell in love with musical theater because uh, my my voice professors were say, said, listen, gospel, there, there are a lot of similarities between the projections of gospel and, and music theater. You should try it out. Now, I auditioned. I got into a show troupe, uh, fell in love, ended up making that uh, career and became a performer. And uh, after a while of performing, I fell in love in a show and uh, I wanted to stop performing because I wanted to marry the woman I fell in love with and stop moving from, I used to move all over the country. And uh, I thought, well, I'll go into film because I had edited it as a hobby and it seemed really fun. Maybe I'll go back to grad school for film uh, and, and do that. So I went to grad school for film and I kind of had this um, inner conflict who am I? Am I a singer? Am I a, an actor? Am I a filmmaker? And uh, because I, I loved all of these things and I and I used to could say, oh, well, I'm a singer. or oh, oh, well, I'm an actor. And then now I'm a filmmaker. Oh, what's that? And I finally realized what probably everyone else does through just common sense, uh, that what I love is telling stories and what I am is a storyteller. And even as a professor now, you know, I love coaching other people to tell great stories, but in a way teaching is telling a story, right? Because all, most of the things we do can go back to story. So uh, I'm a storyteller and I've done that through through song, through acting, and then eventually through film and television and as a professor uh, across the country. Started in North Carolina, uh, moved here from California. I worked for a while as an editor in uh, Chicago and acted kind of all over the country. That is awesome. You know, I always thought, because, uh, you know, I think we share a similar story, uh, you know, storytelling, right? It's funny. We share story, storytelling, right? Um, but yeah, you know, theater I, and performing, I, I love it. I do it as much as I can in the Buffalo area. Um, and and it, it's just it's just so interesting how many of these skills work in these other disciplines, right? right. It's not just you know, people think, oh, performing is just, you know, going out and tap dancing or projecting and talking loud. And, but no, it's, it's taking these written words and making something out of them. So whatever right. facet you need to do, that's, that's, that's fantastic. So can, uh, can we talk a little bit? Well, cause you know, I'm interested now about your performing background. Do you remember the first show that you were in? Uh, the first show, I think I was Ebenezer Scrooge in my middle school production of A Christmas Carol. And that is the first show that I remember doing uh, in front of an audience. 
Oh, that is so cool. That's a great story too. And and you know what? There's a lot of responsibility in that role. So uh that that's great that you had that experience to be one of the one of the the most talked about people in literature, right? Very cool. Right. Okay, so you talk a lot about uh, music, uh, you, you know, uh, 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 being a singer. I know I've actually seen you perform with the Buffalo Choral Arts Society. Uh, oh, so that really? was a really, I, 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 I used to go uh, every year to their Broadway concert. Um, they would do at the Riviera in, in North Tonawanda. So I, right. now that I'm putting all this together, I remember seeing you perform. I hope it's not creepy or anything. Oh, no, no. <laughs> such a great group and such a wonderful group to be a part of. And another fun fact where we kind of get tied in a little bit is you were in a production of Moon Over Buffalo uh, that was at the Lockport Palace, if I do remember correctly. Right. I, I, I feel like I feel like I'm Howard Stern here digging all this stuff up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, and like a month after you guys did your production, I was in a production of Moon Over Buffalo at another theater. I remember seeing that on social media. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's a you great know, show. In that show, and it's you know, if you if you haven't seen the show, it's a slamming doors, running around, crazy farce show, and she was very pregnant, and she was Charlotte, so she was the lead female, and she had a very very heavy role. And she would go out, and I think she's amazing, and would be hilarious, and she would slam a door, and backstage she would almost vomit and lean and lay <laughs> until it was time for her to run back on the stage and start doing the next, whatever the next scene was. So it was a really interesting, uh, our daughter who's turning one this coming week, that was her first show because she was in her mom's belly for Moon Over Buffalo. <laughs> you know what I love so much about that show, too, is that, it, it, first of all, it's exhausting uh, for everybody involved, and and I I, I have to laugh because I played Howard, and the oh, funny thing great. about that, it, it is great. And I remember the tech week of doing that show, and there's a scene where Paul and George uh, George is obviously uh, has hit the hit the hit the liquor, and uh, which he in, in the coffee pot, and he gets pulled into a closet, and he reaches out of the closet and pulls Howard into the closet. Well, that that week, uh, right before we opened, I jumped back out of the closet and I fell, like just fell right out. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, oh my god, I couldn't breathe. I was like, I, I was like on the ground. I was like, well, I got to get up because we have to move on. We have to move on. I went back after that scene. I think I sat in the green room. I was like, no, but nobody even come over here. <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> But uh, oh my goodness, that that's such a that's such a great show, and and I don't think it gets the credit it deserves at how difficult it is to to do that show. But you know, I agree. There we are. We've we've both done it. All right. So storytelling. Do you remember the first film that you saw that you said, you know what? I think I really want to do this. I really want to make filmmaking a part of my life and who I am. Yeah, this is a this is kind of a, a loaded question for me because I did not grow up wanting to be a filmmaker. I grew up wanting to to be a stage performer, and honestly, uh, I, I I loved movies. I would I was the kid who would stay up as late as my parents would let me and watch everything I possibly could. Uh, so I've always loved movies. My very first job was in movie theater, uh, and so that was where I worked for my first job at one of those fifty cent dollar movie theaters back in the day. And uh, uh, so I've always really been into movies. But I was working for a big theater, and it was a, a really big theater. Uh, I had a year long contract, health insurance, all of these great things. It's like a two thousand seat theater, so it was a, a really good job at the time. And uh, someone had something had happened, and uh, like in our country and someone wanted to take a stand against it. They felt that there was, um, uh, that it was a social justice issue. And uh, they wanted to start a petition. And as a hobby, I actually edited a video um, to try to convey the emotion of what people felt for this incident. And I, um, and I showed it to the house manager and the house manager said, we want to put this on the big screens during intermission of the theater to have um, to, to, to show people uh, what's going on and to see if we can get support for this. Well, I always thought of stage performing as the most 
I thought it was the 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 really in my mind at the time the only way for me to really connect and feel the energy of the people that are that are participating in it as an artistic event because a live performance it's real there you can feel it it's crispy in the air and it felt to me so engaging and so different than any other art form that I'd been a part of and so I never thought of film that way and then the first night that they decided to air this thing that I that I put together, I walked over an intermission to the curtain and I looked out and it was a full house, hundreds of people. And as this, this video played on the big screens, I saw people start crying. And then I saw people start uh, clapping and then they started standing up because they were so moved by the cause that eventually everybody was standing. And I could not believe the impact that something that I created as a, as a, on, on that visual medium of, of film or television mm. could, could have on so many people. And then for the rest of the season, every night to see the same reaction, you know, as a performer, I do a show and it's done after months or weeks or a year, but this could be in perpetuity and continue to impact people, even when I'm not able to do that live anymore and and i know that really isn't an answer to your question because you're asking what film impacted me but that experience is what made me want to do film no it was it was the first time that i understood and uh one once again something maybe other people with more common sense than me would have understood just by liking movies but it was the first time that i personally understood uh how impactful that was i mean my favorite movie when i was a kid i watched empire strikes back and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom every day after school on a VHS recorded cassette until it wore out and it was nothing but static. But so, I mean, I've always loved movies, but that was the moment that I realized this is something that I think I can do. That's that is so cool because I, I think that every no matter what creative uh, avenue you take, uh, whether it's performing, filmmaking, uh, 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 you know, music, what have you, there's always that one moment that it clicks and it says, you know, this is what I need to do. This is what I want to be a part of, you know? And I think that all creative people in general share that aha moment where it's like, right. yes, this is what I want. And it's so cool that you were given that opportunity to showcase uh, a story that you wanted to share uh, and, and see people actually be moved by it. I think that that is a testament to not only what you were able to accomplish, but what the, uh, the, the filmmaking medium has the potential to do. So that is, that's, that's, that's fascinating. So you, uh, as a, as a filmmaker and, you know, a documentary filmmaker at that, what draws you to the stories that you want to tell? What about it is so fascinating to you that this story needs to make it out there? I, you know, I have very strong opinions <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> period, obviously. Um, it's, it's what I do for a living, right, is preach it. But um, I, I, the, my definition of truth is very important. Uh, the definition of truth period is important to me when it comes to documentary film. And I, I, I have a narrative film degree, uh, but I, I ended up working on a documentary for National Geographic back when I first started working in television. And um, I think I just kind of fell in love with the medium in grad school. It won't be the only medium that I, that I you know, I, I do both, but but sure, sure. I think my passion for documentary is, is, is ideas of truth. And I, I love all different types of documentary filmmakers and I don't like all different types of documentary filmmakers. So I love to watch them all, like Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog is a documentary filmmaker who has a belief in what he calls ecstatic truth. Meaning if you as a viewer feel the truth, I'm telling you the truth. So he will lie to you in a documentary film and have people act out things that they're not really saying or meaning and direct it ahead of time like a narrative and actually do things just for emotional emotional effect or to affect you emotionally uh, that um, that is not truth in itself. He believes truth is in the feeling and if you feel the emotion of the moment, then you're experiencing truth and that is a documentary. I hate that definition. I love some of his films. <laughs> Grizzly Man is fantastic. It's a great documentary. Um, I don't like his definition. I don't agree with it. And you can actually watch Werner Herzog get shot on camera if you look it up. He got shot in one of his interviews and just kept interviewing because he's like the super tough <laughs> German dude that just does, like it just goes on forever. But uh, uh, my favorite style has always been uh, Pennebaker and Hedges type style, which they made a film uh, in the 90s called The War Room that follows the Clinton campaign. 
And they use what's called a cinema verite style, right? A fly on the wall style where they just have a camera in the room, they cut it together, but they don't, they, they rarely interview or ask any questions. I think that feels so real. It's very hard and you have to have a lot of time to make that style. My documentary that I just made, uh, it, there are interviews in it, but my idea for truth in the documentary uh, is to show the truth of my subjects more so than the truth of myself because we all come into everything we do biased and with our own idea of truth. And when you're talking about the supernatural and uh, ghosts, I mean, we all have different beliefs, right? Uh, some of us believe, some of us don't. I made sure that my crew had a mixture of people with different beliefs, not only in the supernatural, but also religiously, because I come from one religious background. I have a Christian background, so that's going to taint my my how I observe what I I'm watching. So I brought people with different beliefs than me uh, uh, and not just the same beliefs. And when I was making this film, when I was cutting it together, I had hundreds of hours. I spent years making this, you know, since 2016. And uh, I had to decide what story am I going to tell? And I finally came to the realization that I wanted to tell it from the truth of each subject I was interviewing. So I tried to not, you know, as, as little as possible, uh, not show my truth or what I think, but actually show it from the point of, the, of view of each person that I interview. I don't know if that's a little bit too out there, but that's that's what I try to do. No, you know, because that I think is something that I, I, I've has come up in conversation a lot within my my social circle about truth. You know, we have a lot of uh, reporting going on right now. Uh, you know, a lot of things happening in the world that there's a lot of, you know, hot topic issues. You know, we, we're living in a pandemic. We got a lot of reform happening or the aiming for reform to happening. And, you know, I don't always necessarily know if truth is something that people are aiming for, you know? And it's interesting to hear that, you know, you, you've set that, as a standard, you know, the truth, whether it's the, the, the subject's truth or whatever you're setting out to do, that's what you're aiming for. And that is an admirable, admirable quality, in my opinion, because as somebody who always believed himself to be very uh, media literate, I can tell you right now that we are living in a time where I spend more time questioning my myself, like, what did I just read? I'm, I, I'm having a difficult time understanding what what is happening because there's so much out there so it's interesting right. to hear that and I, I appreciate that uh in you doing so with your project i believe you'll never have you'll never have absolute truth in media and because of that you always have to make a choice i mean obviously editing every cut's a, a choice but even if you have one camera observing everything that camera is placed in a certain place with a certain lens and that's going to affect the truth and uh, the first time, I, there was a time that I got mixed up in a story that became a nationally covered story by the Associated Press. And I remember that when that story hit, I was living the event, and then the Associated Press line came through to the place where that event was happening, and I looked up the story of what I was living at that very moment, and it was not accurate. It was not 100% accurate. And I've always, you know, I would always watch the AP feed as like, that's the actual truth, you know? And sure, that's sure. when I realized that there's never, never absolute truth in media. So we have to decide whose truth we want to listen to and how are we going to absorb that truth and what truths are we going to compare it to to form our own truth. That That is so deep. <laughs> that is that is so incredibly deep right there. That I, I I could see that on T-shirts. You should you should claim that right now. That's retirement as retirement written all over it for you. So... <laughs> So, well, it's interesting that you bring the, that we're talking about truth. So, uh, your, your documentary that you've been working on for the last few years, uh, there's no such thing as ghosts. Uh, you kind of alluded to it earlier, and I'm going to uh, bring it back up that this is one of those topics that there seems to be a pretty uh, a, a pretty bold line drawn in the sand when we come to it. Either either you are a believer or you're not. Like, and and, and there's very few people that will say. I, I mean, there's people that say I'm not sure, but there's people that say that with everything. But then there's very strong uh, beliefs that, yes, there has to be something else here or you're crazy. There's always something again, you know, that that it's it, it has to be something else. Right. Uh, personally, I, I, I would I would be remiss in thinking that we are the only thing here. I it, it's it's just my belief. Right. Um, so I'm interested in your uh, you 
kind of elaborate a little bit more on this. So when you set out to make this documentary, what was your original truth that you were setting out for? And how did that uh, how did that develop as you started speaking with these different subjects? I made a one sheet before I started the film where I outlined my mission for the film, what I hope to achieve from the film, because I had to talk people to, you know, into being on board. I wanted great people, but I also did not have a great budget. Uh, so I knew that I would find professionals that I work with at Buffalo State. Uh, and if I could get them to believe in the idea of the film, then maybe I could get these amazing professionals professionals like Brian Milbrand, who was my uh, director of photography, my cinematographer, to be a part of it. And uh, my, my original mission was to understand society's rationalizations of the paranormal or understand why people believe what they believe when it comes to the paranormal. And it, it goes back to my childhood. Um, my parents had very similar religious backgrounds. They were both um, uh, very similar culturally, but my dad would always say, there's no such thing as ghosts when I would ask. And my mom would never answer the question. She would just look and not answer. And I always wondered, you know, how come they don't say the same thing? You know, as a little kid. And, uh, and when I moved to Buffalo, which was to Western New York, which was in 2015, I was finally in a place, Southern California, in my opinion, wasn't the place to do this film. But in Buffalo, you know, everything's, because there's so much history here and things are old, as opposed to Southern California where things are not as old, uh, I thought, well, so much, there's so much history here. I read a book called uh, 500 Years of History, and it was a history of ghosts. Uh, for, and I, I read this to understand society's history of like their belief in ghosts for five, in the past 500 years. And, you know, the seance was invented only an hour and a half from, from here in Western New York. And uh, uh, so a lot came out of this area. And I, um, so my original goal was just to understand why people believe. I didn't want to make a ghost hunting show. Uh, I didn't want it to be reality TV. I've worked in reality TV. I wanted this not to be that. And uh, I wanted to find out why. And obviously all you can have is a question at the beginning of the documentary, but until you live the documentary, what makes it a documentary, you know, unless it's a historical documentary, what makes it a documentary is, is finding the story along the way. So I, I feel like that was my original intent. Along the way, I, I think I ended up finding some different stories that, that I told. That's fantastic. And, you know, there's that, that saying that a movie or a film is made three times, you know, in the pre-production, the production, and the post-production. Uh, and, right. and I know uh, from my small experience in documentary filmmaking, which was only in college, uh, it, it was it, sometimes it's difficult just to get people to open up. Like, uh, you know, that that uh, that trust between the interviewer and the subject. So could you talk a little bit about uh, some of the challenges you faced on this film and how you overcame some of them, maybe with finding subjects or maybe with budget concerns or, or stuff of that nature? Sure. Yeah. You know, relationships are definitely key. Building a relationship with your subject is uh, super important. I am uh, I, I love people. I, I really, really love people. I'm not one of those people that, that, you know, some people come from that point of view. I really don't like people. I'd rather not talk to people. I'm kind of the opposite. I uh, usually, I usually think the best of you possible, unless you prove me wrong, right when I meet you. I just assume that you're wonderful. I've had weird things happen because of that, like cars stolen, because I just handed somebody my keys because they asked to put something in my, you know, like, but, but I just, I, I, I would rather think the best of people from, from the beginning. And, uh, I, uh, so I really enjoy that part of documentary filmmaking and getting to know and getting to really, I'm friends. I would say that I have a, a, a relationship with every subject that I meet, uh, every, every subject. And many of them in this film, they write me every week and I, I, write, I talk with them every week uh, and I met them because of this film. Uh, I would say one of the strange situations that came up is I had budgeted uh, a trip that was going to be three days uh, going to some places in Pennsylvania that I had arranged that were uh, rumored to be haunted and some subjects that I had found that I really wanted to interview. And so I had budgeted for food and transportation for my crew and myself and we had the trip planned and it was, it was gonna cost some money. And uh, as, as soon as I got everything planned and finalized, one of my locations had to cancel on me because of something that came up. And it was one of the locations that I had planned on being a you know, a big part of that weekend. So when that happened, uh, you know, what you do in our business is you find a way to cover. And uh, I, I immediately started searching up other, I had a book, we were going to the Pittsburgh area, and I had a book of the most haunted places in Pennsylvania. I did searches and I finally found this hotel that 
had been in several of the paranormal reality shows like Paranormal State. And, uh, and, and a lot of people said that this place had some weird energy or some weird thing going on and that it was a place to investigate. And I thought, well, what a great place to talk to the subject. The woman that owned the place, her name was Peg Knickerbocker, and the hotel is called the Knickerbocker Hotel. The hotel is empty and not running as a hotel. She has floors of the hotel with rooms. All the rooms are completely decorated and filled with these antiques and dolls that people think are haunted that they give to her. And she lives by herself in the hotel in an apartment in the bottom of this big empty hotel and sometimes allows events to take place there. Otherwise, it's this big, empty, full of antique hotel that, that's there. And uh, so I, I called her blindly and I asked if I could make her a subject for my film that weekend. And I could tell she was skeptical because she had been burnt by reality television. Reality television, if you don't know, is a lie. I know you know this, but anyone listening, reality is a lie. I, I work in reality. I love the lie. It's narrative storytelling. It's a different type. I loved, I loved to edit it. It was fun. Yeah. Um, the show was made in the editing room. Uh, but I, I, t I promised her, I said, Peg, this is not a reality show. I will show, the, I will show you truth, and I will not make you into a subject that you're not. And after some consultation, and she researched me because I, I had some credits, you know, so she, she researched. And once she found out I was legit, she agreed to let us come. And that location ended up being the probably one of the biggest stories in this film. Uh, there are three big stories that we kind of cut between. And uh, that's a really big story in the film. So I'm so, you know, it, it just goes to show that sometimes the unexpected can become the greatest part of what you're doing in an art and, uh, and especially in the art of film, uh, being ready for for new ideas when old ones fall through is super important. Sure. Now, this picture here is this uh, one of the hotel rooms uh, at the yeah. that you're referring to? Yeah. So this is a picture inside the Knickerbocker Hotel. This is a little bedroom uh, on on either the second or the third floor. And you know what's interesting about this this image here? You can see the doll on the bed. She has a uh, this room and some other rooms just filled with dolls. And some dolls are dolls that people felt were possessed and haunting them, and they wanted to get them out of their houses. And Peg loves dolls and believes that the energy put in the dolls is what causes these. This is her belief is that that's what causes these scare moments with the dolls and she believes that if she loves them and shows them affection as as um you know as objects of value that they will lose that and become something that's worth keeping and so this is a room filled with dolls and one of my crew members my audio recordist uh for one of our trips slept in this room and in the film uh, we we show an experience that he had in this room that's that's pretty interesting oh my goodness i i have to tell you uh, I, I have to give you a lot of credit because I look at that room. I'm just creeped right out. I, I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's for me, but uh, no, that's great. So, so that's, that's a very interesting situation. You know, uh, somebody who, who has had a, a, an experience with reality television documentary idea there. Right. Uh, and, and being open to you. So that's a testament to, to your ability to kind of, make this person feel comfortable and want to share uh, your story uh, or her story rather. And I think that's really, really cool. And, and would you say that when it comes to picking your subjects, um, that when you approach somebody, there is that little apprehension or are there most people like, oh yeah, I'd be really happy to, to talk with you. How, how does that usually work out? Almost always there is apprehension at first because uh, usually, if it's if it's a subject that if it's a subject that you think uh, people will be interested in, maybe people have already been, maybe other people have been interested in the past, and uh, have not treated them with the respect they deserve. Uh, so, and then if they're not someone who's who's experienced this before, then it's so brand new to them that they're nervous about it. So you really have to uh, you really have to come at it not as if you've hired an actor in, which is different because they're there to do what, what you're having them do, but as if you're meeting somebody, I mean, it's, it's a first date whenever you, whenever you meet them. And you have to see if there's chemistry there. You have to see if they're willing to let you in because if there's not, then they're not going to be an interesting subject. And sometimes you have to do a second and third date before you know if they're going to be a part of the film because you have to see if, if a relationship forms that will be workable for the film, uh, Peggy, uh, Peg Knickerbocker, uh, I, 
I, she was very skeptical at first on the phone. She's I, we're great friends now to this day, and I would say that I spent a lot of a lot of nights at the Knickerbocker Hotel because I went back over the years for a lot of filming. And there was one moment where I came and met with her by myself without a crew, and sat down with her and had had a breakfast or a lunch and just said, "Hey, this, these are my intentions." Uh, I know we've been filming. This is what I really think that, that you are someone who should be a big part of this film. How do you feel about this? And and we formed a trust that uh, I think really helped, really helped for the film. Definitely, definitely. You know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but a few years ago, there was a, um, when Jerry Lewis uh, died, uh, the Hollywood Reporter had issued uh, or posted an interview that they had done with him. And I think at that point in his life, when they had done the interview, he was either uh, completely finished with talking to people or what, but there's like a seven minute clip where he's uh, not answering anything. He's yelling at them. It's like, you just got to get on here. I do. <laughs> and and I, so I remember, hard. oh yeah. And, and you know what? The guys that were asking the questions, they, they, they gave it their all. And he was, he was not giving in. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's another thing. Is everybody has bad days too, you know. So yeah. you also have to under, you also have to be willing to try a second time and a third. You know, obviously with with Jerry Lewis, just to get that sit down time with him was a huge deal. That wasn't going to happen again. And then by then, maybe he was finished. But I think that when you're approaching a subject, you you know sometimes you have to try more than one time. Uh, I'm very persistent. Um, one of my mentors in grad school said that I'm the nicest, most friendly, passively aggressive, determined <laughs> filmmaker that he's, that he's met because I am super, super aggressive in wanting to get things done. I believe it being friendly and I'm not going to say, hey, you have to do this, but I'm going to try my hardest and you're going to really have to turn me down uh, for us not to work together because I really want it. And, uh, and sometimes you have to have that in, in what we do. Sure. You know, you probably make a great salesman. Uh, you know, uh, get get those sales numbers up, get those quotas met. You know, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> As an actor, that was my in-between show job. I worked in sales for a long time. My grandpa was a carny, so I really credit it to him because he was a carny way back in the in the day, and he, he lived he lived in tents and traveled with the carnival, and uh, they did the ring toss. And uh, his job, you know, he told me he said we would turn the numbers, we would do the things that we would do, and he was a he was a carnival worker, and he grew up doing that. So that's it's kind of in my blood. Is that a little bit creepy for me to say? I got carny in my blood. <laughs> well, you know, it's anything, you know, life, you, you and I, I, I learned this, and, you know, I, I, I learned this as I get older, that your life has so many different experiences that you can turn to uh, at times that are going to be helpful. You know, uh, I, I think you would say the same thing with you, where you have all these different experiences that if anything were to happen, you would be able to be okay. You know, uh, same thing with me. You know, I worked, and, and my girlfriend will attest to this, I because she was working on my resume uh, for me for something I was working on. And she was like, I cannot believe how long this resume is. And I said, well, we'll never starve. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, so let's, let's talk a little bit about um, your choice in telling a story, uh, uh, this, this film, there's no such thing as ghost as a documentary and not just as taking some stories and writing it as a narrative film. So where did the choice come uh, to do that? Yeah, so there are several factors. Uh, one, I think, was my was my drive to to be as far away from reality television, which is also narrative as possible. Uh, granted, a narrative film is not reality television, but a, in my opinion, reality television is a narrative show or a narrative story. And to gain the trust of the people that would be in this, I wanted them to know that I was showing them in truth and a narrative will never be complete truth. I don't care how closely it's based on real life. I'm going to take license or I'm going to take to be able, I'm going to take some type of liberties to be able to make it the most entertaining narrative story I possibly can. Uh, also budget narratives, super expensive. Uh, and it requires uh, contained spaces uh, with um, actors that know, that know how to look like they're being truthful. Uh, which is what good acting is, right? Looking like you're you're true, uh, in my opinion. And uh, I think that uh, a documentary, you you're actually looking at the truth. So uh, so it's it's a lot a lot more 
a lot more goes into uh, the the acting process. I wanted a lot more to go into the fact finding part, uh, which is, you know, I wanted to put the time out hundreds and hundreds of hours of interview footage that I would not have been able to do if I was then making a narrative after that. So I love narrative film. I had planned on my next, uh, you know, I, I've definitely I've got this narrative film that, that I want to do soon. Uh, but for this, I felt, I felt documentary was the best style. Very cool. And that's, that's a really good way of, of, putting it, I think, too. It's, you know, we're experiencing a couple of glitches here, so I'm sorry about yeah. that. You know, the, everybody in the mother is using the internet these days. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, uh, you know, to, to our viewers and our listeners, we are still here. We're not leaving you, I promise. All right, so, you know, we I, I think that's really interesting. Uh, now, when you were pitching uh, this idea to professors and your colleagues at Buffalo State, what would you say to people who may be a little skeptical about the content uh, idea, uh, who may not necessarily believe or uh, accept the fact that there may be uh, supernatural elements? And how do you get them on board? How do you use your persuasion to get them on board? Well, I told them it didn't matter. I said, you know, I'm really looking for why people believe what they believe. So I didn't just interview people that believed in the supernatural. I met with skeptics. I went to the Center for Inquiry, which happens to be based in Amherst, New York, and met with Joe Nickel, who is a uh, who is a full-time paranormal investigator uh, who comes at it from a completely scientific point of view, does not believe there's anything uh after we die, does not believe there's a such thing as ghosts, and he's, he gets paid full time because he finds the science behind, or, you know, his goal is to find the science behind what he sees. Uh, so I interviewed him. I interviewed a professor of uh, and chair of uh, psychology at Carlo University who is about uh, how people come to their paranormal beliefs and why it's psychological. So I didn't just interview those that believe. And I think that interviewing people from both sides uh, allowed me to get a lot more people on board. I also did take a very cinematic approach to it. So when I was looking for crew, I made a look video uh, and I and I used clips from camera styles, uh, such as uh, the first season of American Horror Story for my wide shots, uh, color palettes, images, and. I, uh, when I met with the, my initial group that I was trying to persuade, I showed them the look and the feel and the, and the style I was going for, pitched it from a cinematic point of view, and then pitched it from, uh, from a skeptic's point of view so that they knew that I would not just be looking at one side for this film. That's great. And I, I think that probably helped you in the long term because you were able to, uh, uh, to uh, get the aces in their places so that you could get the best work out of everybody. So that's awesome. So you make this documentary, uh, There's No Such Thing as Ghosts, and it's going to be available uh, starting on uh, the 21st of this month. And right. can we talk a little bit about uh, the process to have your work uh, made available on streaming platforms and for sale uh, within the uh, the Apple TV realm. How, how did that work? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question. We don't talk about this enough, I think, in the academic side. And uh, and I do think that it's important. And I, I try to include this in classes. But distribution is such a big part of what you do. I, I love my art and what I do. But I also like to be able to pay for, for food and eat. And I believe that it's great to be able to do both. So uh, figuring out distribution was a really big was a really big part for me and and I had to decide whether I wanted to go with the self distribution route that a lot of people are doing now via um, Amazon Prime uh, things like that or if I wanted uh, uh, to to try to get my film picked up by a distributor and I really was interested in having my film picked up by a distributor I I, I did the film festival circuit and I won some awards at film festivals and when I when I won these awards. Um, there was one festival where I won top prize and I won a distribution deal. And when I when I won that deal, I was excited. And then I looked at the deal and it wasn't a good deal. And so I did a lot of research into you know, what is a good deal. And I actually happened to be watching a documentary on Hulu a couple months ago and I thought it was great. And I was so interested in it. It's called Hillbilly. Um, it was about uh, this 
progressive feminist who was from the Appalachian Mountains, who wanted to go back and explore what the word hillbilly meant to her people who were very different than her. And it was just showing these two different, you know, this conservative worldview and this liberal worldview and how do they coexist? and uh, where do we get our idea of hillbilly. It was great. And uh, I thought, man, this, this movie's so good. I love how they're telling the story. I wonder who made this film. And when it went off, I saw the logo and the logo was for The Orchard. And I remembered that their logo I had seen in front of so many films that I enjoyed. So I looked them up and uh, I saw that they had recently changed their name to 1091, that they were a huge company. They, they used to be a subsidiary, so, uh, a sub of Sony. Now they're on their own, they're big. And I was like, man, if only they could distribute my film, that would be so cool. But I looked them up and you couldn't even submit your film because they pick up at Sundance and you know different. So unless my film was there, uh, I didn't have a way of submitting. So I wrote the company and I said, listen, I love your films. I have a film and I think my film is a good fit for your catalog. Uh, would you accept the blind submission? And they wrote me back and uh, and they said, we will accept a blind submission. Please fill out this form. They gave me this long form. I sent them my stuff. Four days later, they contacted me and they said, we, we do think that you're a good fit for our company. And we negotiated a deal that was a great deal. And uh, it's a great, you know, a really well-known global media company. And they picked up my film and, uh, we have great terms and we are, we're under a five-year contract and they'll distribute pretty much any any site that you can get your movies from, my movie will be on um, uh, pay, pay to play, right, initially, because that's how yeah. all movies, uh, most movies when they come out, obviously we're not doing theatrical releases now really, but uh, we, you first release on a pay to play, like where you rent or buy a movie. And then over time, you let it go to the streaming uh, places where you wouldn't have to pay you know, you wouldn't have to pay addition. You would pay your monthly fee, or you would pay, you know, whatever it is that you that you want to do by the by the month to get it, such as those Amazon Amazon Prime by the year. So we'll start off on everywhere that you pay to play that you that you rent your movies from, and then we'll go to some streaming outlets and, and a streaming TV station that's that's pretty new called Undiscovered, no, called Unidentified. It just launched uh, that focuses on this content. We'll also go on that on that network eventually. Great. You know, I, I think it's so cool that there are professors at Buffalo State right now, uh, and th there have been, uh, that are able to get uh, a distribution deal, and not necessarily just the deal, but that experience, because I, I think that was one of our big uh, questions. It's like, okay, so now I have this. What do I do with this? You know, I mean, it's right. it's great to have uh, grandma and grandpa and Aunt Pat come over and watch your film, but you know, you <laughs> would like everybody, yeah, <laughs> you'd like everybody to see your hard work and what you were the story you were able to tell. So that's that's great, and congratulations on that deal. I, I know it's it's no small feat. So uh, that that is a, a very awesome uh, experience for you and an opportunity for you. So let's talk a little bit, you know, we're talking about your film. It's going to be available. I know after people listen to this podcast, they're all going to rush out and pre-order and then they're going to start, they're just going to buy it. You're, you're going to be, you know, sitting pretty uh, forever. Uh, from this episode. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, I look forward. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I look forward to that. So uh, you're a film professor uh, at Buffalo state college. Uh, and or SUNY Buffalo State, as it's referred to now, um, and uh, the Television and Film Arts Department. Uh, I graduated from in 2013, so I just missed you. Just yeah, missed you right. by two years. Yeah. Uh, but uh, why, why don't we talk a little bit about that program uh, for people who are interested in uh, experiencing it? I will tell you uh, at the beginning, uh, I was put on the waiting list. Uh, when I when I had applied, and uh, and I, I I have no ill will. I've I've forgiven, but um, <laughs> but it is it is a a, a pretty uh, you know a competitive a uh, program. Uh, and and why don't we talk a little bit about that? Uh, if you're a high school senior and you're interested in applying this year, what you might need to do, what the department is looking for in their storytellers, and 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 take it from there. Yeah, you know, television and film arts. Is I love it. I love the program. I came to Buffalo State as a communication professor. I love that department as well. I was a media production professor at first. Um, however, I didn't I didn't know about television film arts coming from Southern California. I was just learning about Buffalo State. And uh, when I got here, Lou Rera, a professor there, 
is, is who told me about the program initially uh, during my interview. And, and I looked them up and it says creating great storytellers. And I thought, man, this is what my whole life has been about is, is, is trying to tell the best story possible. And I, I was immediately interested in the program. And uh, uh, there were a lot of crossover classes with the other departments. So I, I started to get to know a lot of the people uh, affiliated with the program. If you want to be uh, a writer or a director or a producer in, uh, in narrative storytelling, uh, so it's actually not for documentary filmmakers. It's for narrative storytellers as our number one focus. Uh, you can take documentary classes from the media production major. Uh, you can take those as electives, and uh, and that's in communication. But we're we're going to teach you story structure, which honestly, even as a documentary filmmaker, I think of story structure every moment of my filmmaking process because my goal is to entertain people while I'm telling my truth. Uh, so if you're interested in narrative storytelling, this is the program. We we uh, are, are really blessed to have a, a good number of applicants every year where we can stay very selective. So we uh, we build and we accept about 15 people a year into the program. I'll tell you that this coming fall, we're accepting the biggest class that we've ever accepted. We have such an uh, an amazing pool of applicants, and we score all of these applicants uh, based on several factors. And uh, I've, uh, uh, along with our committee, we've accepted 21 students this semester. So it's going to be a huge class, um, and it's it's just there were just so many great applications. What you want to do if you want to be a part of the program is you want to is you want to have a great story to submit. We take written stories and we take uh, uh, videos that are that are stories, but we want to see a narrative story. Uh, as part of your portfolio, that's uh, that you can give up to seven minutes or seven pages of, and then we'll 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 ask you some questions, you know, about about your thoughts on film and television and why you're interested in doing what it is that you want to do, and we'll look at not only your answers and your thought process, but also your mechanics and grammar, and then uh, your mechanics and grammar when it comes to uh, filmmaking, and we're looking for the best, for the most potential uh, for storytelling that we can find. And that's what we look at is your potential for telling great stories and your, your I guess, your, your courage to try to tell a great story to us in your application. And uh, I think it's a great program. It's a hybrid program or, or it's a, a collaborative program. We take classes from theater and communication and the English department, and then we have a core curriculum in the middle. And so the goal is you'll be well-rounded, you'll understand the whole filmmaking process, but you'll be able to take the reins uh, in telling a great story and drive a great story. Uh, it was it was such a great experience. Uh, my four years and my first undergrad degree, and and I absolutely uh, enjoyed every minute of it. And I think back to it more and more uh, as I get older. And wow, you know. But it, it, what's so neat too is that as time has progressed, technology has progressed. So like we were using like mini DV tapes uh, when I was there on those uh, those big cameras and I still have a box of them and he can't get rid of them because like everyone's moved to SD card. Uh, I'm like, what do, what do I do with, I, 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 I just, I kind of just put them in the relic box for something right. that uh, I could refer to <laughs> one day, you know? So uh, it was great, but you know, now that the DSLR and even the iPhone uh, has the, these, picture quality capabilities that didn't necessarily exist seven, eight years ago. Uh, there's so much uh, potential out there and there's so many platforms and so many ways to to do what you love to do and tell those stories. And I, I think that that is fantastic. And I think that the TFA program was ahead of its time um, when I took it. And we were learning these awesome skills that you don't necessarily you, you take for granted at the time. But then as you've moved on through your life, you know, being able to communicate, work with people, create stories, sell an idea, pitch. Uh, you know, I, I remember we would have a, a reality TV show pitch uh, luncheon once a year and uh, right. and we would have uh, 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 Marcy Mulet come in and yeah, uh, we'd have a minute. That. We still do it. Awesome. And you know what? I have to tell you, the first year she did it, I pitched her an idea. She loved it. She asked me for a treatment. And and I was I went home that night. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just I, I and, and I'm still waiting for it to be bought. But anyway, <laughs> it was a great, great experience. And I sure hope that the students that are in the program today and future students understand the opportunities and, and what an awesome 
uh, opportunity it is. I mean, I was introduced to the Toronto Film Festival. We went to the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, yes. You know, uh, I New York City was great. You know, the Writers Guild, a lot of awesome opportunities, awesome, awesome opportunities to work on film in Buffalo. So uh, to, to the future students and to the current students, don't take it for granted. Take every opportunity you can because it's definitely worth it. And uh, don't worry, I will waive the fee for that endorsement. I'm happy. I was going to say I'll pay you after, but that was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> but so, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. And, you know, it, it, it's just so good. And I, I, I'm lucky because I still uh, uh, talk with a lot of uh the people that I went to school with and the professors uh, who are there. So every now and then I, I get to still see what's going on. And it's really nice to see uh, where the growth has happened and where there, where we had had some opportunities for growth and we actually uh, have seen that happen. So that's fantastic. Uh, I got two more questions for you. And I, I these, these are more, uh, you know, opinion questions about Hollywood in general. Uh, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. I, when, when I was in TFA, I was more uh, excited for television, the television aspect, the narrative. At the time, Breaking Bad was like the big television show on, uh, and, and it's still a great show. And you know what? I hate to say it, but I think they, they topped themselves with Better Call Saul. Uh, I, I'm like, wow, I didn't think you could make it any that. better. It's so different, but it's a great, great it show. Is. It is. What is uh, what are your thoughts on Hollywood, the area we're going, and television right now, the entertainment industry? Uh, are we are we still in a golden age? Are we maybe kind of needing to get back to basics? What where are we in your idea, and 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 where would you like us to go? I love how what streaming uh, television has done for television. I think that, uh, and this is this is obviously just my personal opinion, and you're the first person to ask me this question, believe it or not, in a long time. Uh, I think that streaming television has morphed television and movie uh, into this new medium, um, and which is unbelievable, where we have this binge culture, and we can make a, an episodic show with, let's say, 10 episodes that has the feel of a 10-hour-long movie because we don't have to wait a week and recap or, re or remind you as a viewer mm -hmm. of everything that happened in the past week, not only through the recap, but through subtle clues that take up time within the content of the television show, because we know that you're going to binge it. So therefore we can just move the story forward and give you more details and more information and more experiences in the same amount of time. And we also, because of streaming culture and the way that uh, we do um, uh, critics and reviews, and uh, uh, but also censorship and uh, ratings, we can also maybe go in more depth uh, to a story without having as many concerns for things being censored because of their spot on uh, broadcast television. I still love broadcast television and I love going to the movies. I love both of those things and I want to keep both of those experiences. But I believe that we're in a new age. Maybe it's not going to be called the golden age, but we're in a new age with streaming media that allows more content, um, more cinematic content, uh, and a an, an evolution of television into this movie television animal that all goes together. Yeah, it, it's 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 fascinating to see how many of the different uh, uh, forms are cross, you know, crossing paths. You know, we have we have uh, Hollywood uh, creating movies that are turning into TV show spinoffs. We have musicals that turn into movies, and movies that turn into musicals, and 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 all the the areas are working together. And I think that we are seeing so much content that I would almost be afraid that if I spent all this time putting, well, and I do it, but putting all this time and effort into something that does anybody, but is, is it, is there so much? How, how do I, how do I stand out? I guess. Uh, sure. And I, I, it's, it's, it's just so fascinating to see how, what makes something that somebody wants to watch because there is no rhyme or reason why things go viral. You know, we, we could say that there's a, 
Oh, you're right. You're right. I, I, I would agree with you. I, I, I do want to point out, and this may be a bit unpopular. I'm going to say it anyway. I do, you sure. know, while I love what's happening with television because television is becoming more cinematic because it's not a set, it's streaming, it's anywhere you watch it. For cinema itself, where I'm, I'm seeing less films that are about the script and the acting and more films that are about the visual effects. And unfortunately, I don't, I don't love that that so high of a percentage of our content in, in the cinema is uh, is more about the um, the visual effects sequences than the acting and the story. Uh, we still have great cinema coming out, uh, but I would like to see uh, I would like to see a greater percentage of really great story and acting coming back to the cinema. And unfortunately, I have to get most of that at film festivals as opposed to mm -hmm. uh, the cinema. And I think that, that we can have great movies and we can have great action. I mean, great action that also uh, has great writing and great acting like Greyhound, which just came out on Apple TV that you know wasn't able to come out of the theater. I loved it. It was, it was nothing but action from beginning to end. So it wasn't this, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, we don't want this slow burn of a story. It wasn't a slow burn at all, but it was great acting. And it was um, great suspense, great writing. And sure, there were loads of visual effects, but it was more, I think, more about the story and the suspense of the story. That's why for like scary movies, um, I tend to love the, the ones that, that, are, that, that make you wait for the jump. Um, like The Others is one of my favorite scary uh -huh. movies uh, of, uh, of recent times. And I know it's not very recent, but of the 2000s, um, I think The Others has an amazing script, an amazing amount of, creepy fear feeling but also an amazing twist and you know that brings me back to like a, Hitch, a hitchcock type feel which for me is the type of uh, the type of fear and suspense i love um i watch all I, i'm a big scary movie fan so i watch all of them but i uh i love that feel. yeah you know it, it's i i have to be honest i don't remember the last time uh i went to the the movies actually now that I'm thinking about it, the last film I saw in theaters was Hidden Figures, I think. And that was probably, it was a great movie, a great story that that had great acting in it, but a story that I think should have been more well-known and and right. definitely something that if, you, if I hadn't seen it in the movie, I wouldn't have done more research on it because it was a fascinating story about these, these women that worked at NASA and we're not given their their credit and their due for what they were able to accomplish and it was just fascinating and that is the story that i think that we should have more of and, and i i have to agree with you in that the visuals shouldn't they should they should complement the story they shouldn't be the focus of it right. you know it, it's it's and 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 you know every time and i'm not a big superhero buff but i can appreciate that they're a money maker and then studios you know in order to do a, a a movie that's a little more our speed we need this movie because it's sure. such a such a you know money maker but it, it's just it's like every time i see another spin-off superhero movie i'm like oh my gosh to watch i love them and, and we do have to make money and i understand that yeah. I, I would just love to see more both um, uh, you know, more yes. of the other. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I, I hope, I hope that, uh, the future of film, uh, is, is a little more that speed, uh, in that we're really going back to the basics of story because any actor you listen to an interview on any of these late night shows, or, uh, when you meet them at the film festival or whatever, they always say they're drawn to the story. Like what you said earlier at the beginning of the interview, you're drawn to the story to tell a story. That's why I became a storyteller too. I wanted to tell stories. And I think that anytime we get a little too convoluted in what we're doing, we have to go back to the basics. And are we telling a good story? And that that is what will make a good product. So there you go. All right. Well, AD, I am so happy that I got to uh, get to know you better today, and to and to talk about uh, your 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 perspective and and your project. And uh, I, I hope that you enjoyed yourself as much as I enjoyed having you on. Oh, it's been so great. Thanks so much for for having these conversations and 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 letting me come on and talk about this project that I've been so invested in. It's been so much fun talking with you about it. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for having you. And I'll be with you in a couple seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, today, my guest was uh, Aaron Daniels, and he is uh, the director and producer of uh, There's No Such Thing as Ghosts, a documentary film that's available July 21st on Apple TV and any other streaming uh, devices, uh, pay for play, as you would say, and it will be available for you. So please check that out. Uh, thank you so much for watching another great episode of um, Why Bother? You can like and subscribe to Why Bother on Facebook and on YouTube. We are now also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Anchor. And if you have uh, anything you'd like to see on our show, please shoot us a line on Facebook or on YouTube. I'd love to uh, hear your feedback. So thank you very much to my guests. Thanks for tuning in. And I cannot wait to see you again on another great episode of Why Bob.